Hi, Leonard. Welcome back, Keith, song leader. Um, a couple of things before we start. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. It's always a special time, and uh, I'm grateful for that, to celebrate that with you all. Um, I had uh, mentioned prior this week that I've had a physical ailment, uh, something wrong with my hip. It's kind of like a Jacob, you know, when Jacob wrestled the Lord. Yeah, he's kicking my butt right now. The the Lord is. Uh, for whatever, there's always a message in it somewhere. But uh, I, I was, um, I had gotten relief on, I think it was Thursday, Thursday was my first night's sleep in a week. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's just been so painful. But And then, and so it seemed to be healed. And then last night it came back with a vengeance. So I'm if if in middle of class you just see me kind of do that, just like throw something at me. I'm I'm just a little sleep deprived. That's all. Uh, so if you could pray. At, at first I was like I'm not going to ask for prayer. I'm going to tough this out. I am not tough. So I'm asking for prayer and any from all and everyone for relief. I'm seeing my doctor tomorrow morning. So hopefully we can get this sorted out. Um, this year, Christmas is on a Sunday, and so that uh, kind of makes the schedule itself. So, but uh, Chris and I are going to be out of town the week between Christmas and New Year's. So we're going to be in Arizona, so I'll update you on that as we go along. But uh, so there'll be at least those two weeks without classes. So. Um, yeah, but I'll, I'll give you the full schedule coming up. I just wanted to say it today. All right. Let's begin with prayer. Let's thank God for our time together to hear His Word and to celebrate Him and to be blessed by Him and His Word and through Jesus Christ our Lord uh, with humility and reverence. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for all that you are. Thank you for your glory. 
that you have shared with us and revealed to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for him, for the Holy Spirit who provides for us the insight and ability to see what you would have us see. We thank you for your word. We thank you for prayer. And we thank you for all that you have done through him. We are so blessed, Father, by you. And all we need is you. Uh, We are uh, often, Father, distracted by things. We thank you for your patience. And we, we ask, Father, that through your word this morning that we would uh, again, be further enlightened as to our great calling in Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. All rise, please.
start in Luke chapter 6. Gospel of Luke chapter 6. Oh, Holy Night is uh, quite appropriate for our beginning here. Um, So, uh, we've been looking at prayer for, I don't know how long, a few weeks. And uh, we've seen a number of aspects of um, what prayer is for, uh, the different kinds of prayer. We've seen prayer in the Psalms, what's highlighted in the Psalms that uh, were prayed for. Uh, we've seen in, you know, that we can pray the Psalms, and I know a lot of people in, in the ministry have, been, have benefited from that, uh, as have I. <clears throat> uh, and so what we're, we've turned to now is the Lord's Prayer. And uh, and I'll I'll summarize what we've done so far in, in the past. My I, I just thought that my brain would remember all of that, and uh, and it doesn't right now. So, uh, <clears throat> but in the Lord's Prayer, uh, the most extensive uh, depiction of it is in Matthew six. Uh, it's also in Luke chapter eleven. Uh, we noted uh, last time that it is commanded that Jesus said when he said pray, it's in the imperative. It's a command. Uh, in Luke, he says, say, uses legete, uh, the, the verb for saying, and it's a command. So he says, say, and then he gives us the prayer. Um, what's significant about it, this, and, and you always want to do this especially, well, you want to do a number of things. One, the first thing you want to look at when you're, stu- when you're learning from the scripture, uh, what kind of uh, literature, what kind of writing are you are you at or reading at the particular time? But when you're in the Gospels, uh, the Gospels are specific to being the story of the life of Christ. And so we want to, when you're interpreting, you want to keep that in mind. You also want to keep in mind what the author uh, is saying and to whom, uh, because. The Gospels are a bit different because their audiences are different. And so you want to know what audience uh, is in, in view. Uh, and, and when you do that, you get a little more uh, insight. Uh, and what you find in, in much of this is that we have a history of the life of the Lord, uh, but not all of it by far, uh, actually a small fraction of the life of our Lord. It's literally like two months of his life, if you count up all the days that are depicted in the Gospels. Out of a three and a half year ministry, we're given a snapshot. But what we know is we're given what God wants us to see. And that's important. So we can say, you know, why is this included and why isn't something else included? Well, a, a neat thing you can do as you're uh, reading on your own or studying on your own is when you get to a certain section, imagine if it wasn't there. Just say like the Sermon on the Mount wasn't in the Gospels. What would that mean? You know, uh, how would things be different if the Lord's Prayer wasn't written down? Uh, uh, you know, what? How would it be different? In other, in other words, you would be answering. Why is it there and why is it important? Uh, and so, 
in the Gospels, we have the life lived of the one who is the perfect God-man. So, it's the divine life in a man. Right? And this is what uh, God has given to each of us uh, to live. And so, the Lord has given us his life so that we can live it just like he did. And it's a marvelous thing here uh, that in Luke 11, the disciples are uh, noticing Jesus pray, and they hear him pray, and they ask him, teach us how to pray. Now, what's and so what you can ask there is, you know, why didn't they say, teach us what words you said? What did you mean by that? Why did you say it that way? Or, you know, what they asked was, how? How do you pray? And he tells them. And he gives them this, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and, and so, he, this, he, he prayed all the time. In fact, that's why we'll start here. If you look at Luke 6:12, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. All right, so Jesus here, he he leaves to go pray. All right, how often did he do this? We don't really know, but we would say it's probably pretty often. Um, but what is about to happen the next day is the Sermon on the Mount. And in fact, if you just skip down to the next verse, he chooses the twelve. So he chooses the twelve apostles, uh, including Judas Iscariot, which is always uh, this mind-bogglingly wonderful. Uh, but uh, he he chooses the twelve, and then he gives the sermon starting in verse twenty. And he's prayed all night before this occurs. And, you know, it would be wonderful. Obviously, do you think he just prayed the Lord's Prayer like over and over and over all night? Of course not. But, you know, when they ask him, teach us how to pray, and he gives us this prayer, as we'll see, uh, we're going to see how, you know, it's, <laughs> it's marvelously short and deep, and it's, it's everything. You know, it's everything that you could want is there. You know, nobody could say after the Lord gave him this prayer, say, wow, I don't have time for that. It's, it's, it'd take you five minutes to say this prayer, doesn't it? In other words, everybody has time to pray. So, uh, again, so now, what we have between uh, the, the night in prayer and the sermon is a troubled, sick people. Well, okay, you know, this is the human race. So look at verse 17. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. And there was a large crowd of his disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, which is on the Mediterranean Sea. So people have traveled for tens and, uh, well, from Tyre, it's probably a good 50, 60 miles from the coast. Uh, and people have traveled on foot from the south, from the west, from the north. And notice what they are. They, uh, so they're from everywhere. 
and uh, who had come near him in verse 18, sorry, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the people were trying to touch him for power was coming from him and healing them all. So what do we have here? A sick, frail, troubled crowd who are healed with a touch. Uh, and uh, as I was re- I was going over this this morning, and my my hip feels uh, quite a bit better right now. But it, and this morning it was aching. It was like this this pounding ache in my hip. I couldn't get rid of it. And I'm looking at this and saying, "Oh, if I could just touch him." <laughs> it was impactful. That if if you were ailing, and you knew that you just had to climb over this guy and that gal to get to him, and touch him. And you see people who are coming the opposite direction all rejoicing that they've been healed. Boy, you'd be after it. And that's all you, it, it absorb you. Especially if it was something painful or something like a lifelong ailment that you thought you'd never get rid of. And yet all I got to do is touch him. And the Lord healed them. So if you know, whether you have an ailment right now or not, all of us are troubled people. We're all troubled. You know, it's sometimes worse than others, but I mean, who among us has perfect peace lasting, you know, days and days on end? It, uh, it usually gets disturbed by something. And, uh, and we're, it's, it's really a great description of the human race, fallen and troubled. Uh, and so, um, now, if, if, if the Lord heals them, heals them by the thousands, and if that's all that they needed, then that's what would have happened. He would have said, okay, you're all healed. Anybody else in the crowd, come on up and touch me. All of you would be healed. All of you are good. Go in peace. And that would have just been what happened. But Jesus, the only sinless one there, the only one who's not troubled. He knows something. He knows something that they don't. He knows their real trouble. And it's not their illnesses. It's actually a deeper illness. For the one who is cleansed from an unclean spirit or a demon or a sickness, does their trouble go on? Of course it does. And what is that trouble? It's sin. The real trouble. Now, we could just say, there's your trouble, everybody. Sin. You bunch of sinners. Now, close your Bibles and go home. But that's too broad a statement. Right? Sin is our trouble. But the real trouble is that sin causes us to conclude that life is merely uh, about us. Um, that life is just about my immediate need. That's what life is. You know, if I can get relief from my ailment, from my pain, then life is grand. Is it, though? I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, life gets better. Uh, if, you, if you've lived life in pain and then the pain goes away, and I know many of you have, getting relief from pain is a wonderful thing. However, is that really what life is all about? And, and Christ knows differently. Our sin causes us to get occupied with earthly things, material things, 
ourselves. Right? What's the, the, uh, the conviction or condemnation against the rich is not their money. Because we're going to say, what's the, his opening in the Sermon on the Mount is, blessed are the poor. Uh, <clears throat> it, it's not their money that's the problem. It's being conceded in the epistles and in the gospels. It was the conceit that came from riches. The fact that, you know, I'm comfortable I don't need you. I don't, especially you dirty poor people. And I don't. I don't really need God. I mean, I'm good. But it is a harsh reality that the world is a troubled place, filled with troubled people. Now, it's also true that if these people, some of them, if they weren't so poor. Their lives would be better. I mean, in the first century here, some of these sicknesses that these people have are likely, many of them, a result of their socioeconomic status. They're dirty. Uh, They don't get adequate food. There's no government subsidies in the first century. There's no welfare system. If you're poor, your life is in danger. You probably have malnutrition. And diseases that come from that. You live in filth and squalor. And it's unclean. And if you're rich, you have a good night's sleep. You're not in danger all the time. You know, poor people are stressed out. (laughs) Poor people are like, where's my next meal coming from? But here's the one thing that poor people do know. Is that life is uncertain. Rich people didn't know that. And so we'll see that here with Christ. He just he seems to say here in the Sermon on the Mount that, you know, if you're poor, you're good, and if you're rich, you're cursed. But then you say, well, that can't be right. But what he's speaking of here is a generality that is of a reality that in, especially at that time, and in our time as well, that the, the rich are generally conceited, not all of them, obviously, but generally so. Uh, it doesn't mean that the poor are humble, but uh, the poor do know something that the rich don't, and that, that life is uncertain. When's my next meal going to come from if we're that poor? See, the reality that Jesus knows is that what these people are really after and what we're really after, which is God's calling on our lives, is to have a life that is filled with peace and joy. You know, comfort and joy, right? That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Well, you could hold your place here. Go back to Luke chapter 2. When the angels appear to the shepherds, Luke 2.14 Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. All right, we all learned this years ago that they got it, Hallmark got this one wrong. Peace on earth. That's not what they said. On earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. To whom is God pleased? Those who believe in him. Those who faith by faith believe 
And what is this announcement by the angels to the shepherds about the coming Savior? They said to him, he's in Bethlehem in a manger, and they run to go see him. And, uh, and, and, and this peace comes upon men through Christ. Right? He's the only way, he's the only source of it. So when Jesus speaks to them that morning in the Sermon on the Mount, even though all of them are getting healed, he still starts with, Blessed are you who are poor. Wait a minute. All right, I just hobbled down here on my bum leg and I got healed and now you're telling me I'm blessed if I'm poor? That doesn't make any sense. So go back to Luke 6. Let's read it. Uh, the, uh, Luke has four Beatitudes where Matthew has eight. But again, Luke is writing to a different audience. Uh, so it's, this suffices for Luke's account. The anxious crowd, imagine them, so anxious, pressing in for their cures. And then they hear him. Turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way that their fathers used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. I, is he literally talking about rich and poor? Doesn't it seem like it? If we're just going to take it at face value, without we have to be very careful about reading into the Scripture what we want to read because it makes us feel uncomfortable or it's not what we expected. We have to be careful of reading into it. But is it a sin to be rich and to have nice things? No. This is very clear in the Scripture. It's not a sin. But connected to riches is always this word conceited or prideful. And here the Lord is pointing out a reality, a reality that these people live in every day, that the rich have an easy, conceited life. All of them? No. In general. Right? You look on the news, you see the news. There's a lot, you know, you can't be a, everybody's into politicians now, but you can't really be a politician nowadays unless you're rich and powerful. How many of them are humble, do you think? Everybody is shaking their heads, right? We can't stand the right, ah, oh, no, right. I know, I understand, right? How many of them are actually humble? How many are in Washington actually doing the job the way that it's supposed to be done for the people? For the people? It's government run for, by the people, for the people, right? Constitution, yeah. Are they up there all humble? No, most of them not. And that's what Jesus is doing here. It's a, it's a generality that, look, you see in this whole world that you live in, that it's unfair, right? A lot of you people are here. I'm saying, if I'm Jesus, <laughs> that's a terrible thing to say, but 
Uh, you know, it, a, a lot of people are here to get healed. You're here to get healed. You're here to get your pain go away. Uh, and I'm going to do that for you. But look around you. Are, are all these... Uh, is the unfairness of the rich over you going to go away? Right? The rich versus the poor. How's that worked out in human history? Oh, the rich are always fair and gracious. Giving, making sure the poor always have enough. No. Take advantage of them. Oh, I'm reading a book about uh, uh, slums in, in Mumbai, India. Well, I'm listening. I listened to it. Audio book on the way into work. <sighs> poor, you talk about poor. Holy moly. A homeless encampment in Portland would be a five-star hotel for these people in India by the millions. And, uh, you know, when all wokeism and stuff became the, the, the latest craze, which is an attack by the kingdom of darkness upon mankind. But uh, anyway, uh, you know, the... One one of the things, programs came out in India to help the poor and do all of this. One thing that never changed, though, was the oppression of them by those who can take advantage of them. And why do people do that? Because they're evil. Now, people will oppress those who are already downtrodden. And where do the downtrodden get to look for relief? No one on the, no one on this earth. However, and this this would be a great study to do someday. It is uh, incredibly frequent how much God speaks about the poor and oppressed and the downtrodden, and that He is going to rescue them. Over and over throughout the prophets and the Psalms, it's everywhere. And here we see it again: Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. <clears throat> the Lord understands, of course, that without Him, nobody has anything. Uh, the poor have an uncertain life. Well, everybody has an uncertain life. But as I said, even if they're healed of their ailments, that they're actually going to be oppressed and continue to be oppressed. <clears throat> and then, you know, the Lord, therefore, then says to us, well, here's what life really is. And he reveals this to us, and he makes it uh, the reality of either you either live this life or you don't. If you don't live it, you're not going to experience it. So, as he says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, if you hear these words of mine and you do them, then you're the house built upon the rock. Uh, if you don't do them, you're the house built upon the sand, and your house will crumble. It'll fall. There's no other option, Jesus says to us, than living this. And it's a very narrow road. All right? So there's all kinds of distractions around us against this. However, we look at the facts of the scripture. What do the facts say? The Lord gives us everything we need. Well, first, the Lord gives us this life, right? We're in him, 
at salvation, we're made righteous, we're imputed with righteousness, we're baptized by the Holy Spirit, we're entered into union with Christ, we're justified, uh, propitiated, the Father, uh, the, the Father is satisfied by the Son, uh, that we're reconciled to God, we're justified. All right? Sins are forgiven. So we have this life. And then Christ gives us everything we need for this life. He gives us the Holy Spirit to empower this life. And then he models it for us. And we have it right here in the pages of the Gospels that we can see the Lord Jesus Christ living this life and he tells us to live it just like he did. He gives us life by means of his death. He empowers that life through God the Holy Spirit who he gave to us as a gift. Uh, uh, He models that life in four beautiful gospel narratives. He further models it in the apostles and expands upon the truths in the gospels through the epistles. And we have it all right there. And we can study it over and over. And so for each of us, this should be a slam dunk. For each of us, we we should live blessed, peaceful, joy-filled lives. And we must understand that, that that's what we're called for, and that's, there's no other option for us besides that. But then, you know, we know things that we struggle, and everybody struggles with this. And we see, this is where we're getting uh, to prayer here, that in, in uh, Romans 7.24, Paul writes, wretched man that I am. And why? And after in Romans 7, what I want to do, I don't do, what I don't do, what I don't want to do, I do. And he reveals to us this, and by the way, they're all in the present tense, this what I want to do presently, I'm not doing. As he's writing it, he's saying to us his struggle. And he comes to this conclusion that all of us come to, wretched man that I am. And so, uh, without a constant communication with our Father as we navigate this life, it's going to be hopeless for us. And in fact, we won't be able to do it. I, after this study, I am absolutely convinced that without a good prayer life, you cannot, you will not live this Christian life the way that it's meant to be lived. There are, it's not just prayer. Right? We have to study, we have to learn, we have to pray, we have to apply. There's a lot to do. But if we throw the prayer part out, we're going to be hopeless. In Luke's Gospel, the disciples heard our Lord pray and then they asked him to teach them to do the same. This tells us that there was more to whatever the Lord was praying than the words he was using. They didn't ask him, why did you say that? Or what did that word mean? They asked him how he prayed. They could have just memorized his words and then just parroted them back, you know, just like a a little prayer card or something. But there had to have been something that he was praying that was more of a method, more of a practice, more of a characteristic of praying that they had never heard before and hadn't known before. And this becomes clear to us when we hear his reply. The Lord's Prayer is, well, it's certainly not a Jewish prayer. You know, it's not one of the, you know, go find it in the Psalms. You're not going to. You find parts of it, sure, but like this? Um, yeah, it's, it's different. 
It's definitely not something related to the common Old Testament prayers. They had uh, the same prayers, common prayers that they prayed in the morning and in the evening and on the Sabbath and during the festivals. Uh, they pray certain psalms like the Hallel during the festivals. It's not that either. This is something else. And because he is something else. What life exists that's like his? This, his life, him, and this prayer have a strangeness to it that real things, all real things have. All real things are bizarre. Think about it. Things don't, you know, when you come to know anything about anything, it starts to get bizarre. Yeah, Christ has invited us to it or into it. And he's going to show us how he used prayer to live a divine life. He lived a divine life in a sinful world, a world that is ruled, as he said in John 12, that the God of this world is the devil. And he's surrounded by sin. He's surrounded by distractions. He's, surround, he's, just, he's bombarded by them day in and day out. And he has to navigate this life. And we see here that he uses prayer as part of that navigation. And, and something, and when you approach it, if you approach it with the reality of what it is, then you find that um, at the least it makes us very honest people. In other words, as he said when he, before he opened up in this prayer in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, that he says, you know, go into your inner room. Uh, when you're in your inner room with your father, uh, lying, deceit, even self-trickery is not an option. Right? And you know this. You inherently know this. What is the, there's no point in lying to him. But in also, uh, you come to him first and foremost as father. That We're familiar with this. I I grew up Catholic and we learned the Lord's Prayer real quick, you know, and said it every Sunday and, and didn't didn't care to know really what the words meant, but you know at least we knew it. Um, but to a Jew in the first century, to call you know Jehovah Elohim, Father, Abba, is bizarre. You can't do that. He's calling God his very own father. They wanted to stone him for it. But he did it all the time. No, no other Jew in history ever did that. Go, go find father in the Old Testament. It's there, but it's very rare. Very rare. I'll show you a couple instances. But <clears throat> And then, you know, and then he says, so... Father in heaven, your name. It starts with a doxology. Your name is holy. And, and, and so, right, the, you know, unless we're just parroting the words, we're stuck in an inner room with the only holy one. And we ain't. And what are we to do there? Well, what could we do? <laughs> uh, there's not many options, are there? You couldn't brag about your latest successes, <laughs> right? You couldn't be like, hey, God, what's up? Yeah, it's Joe again. Yeah, I know you're glad to see me. What do you want to talk about, big guy? 
You wouldn't do that either. What can you do? The song, Fall on Your Knees. Hopefully, not me. I can't. I, I got now. I got a, now with a bum hip. I can't. I can't get on my knees. I couldn't before anyway. But in in your soul, to do what? It's all over the Psalms. It's all over the prophets. It's and and for all of eternity. There's a marvelous transition in the Book of Revelation where Babylon the Great. Babylon the Great, full of money and song and power and world influence. And they're all crying. They're all weeping. Because all the money's gone. And the wine doesn't taste good anymore. And nobody's singing anymore. And life is a beach. And in heaven... Revelation 19. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The time of the Lamb has come. There's four hallelujahs, one after another. And it says they say them from heaven. The hallelujahs come out sounding like thunder. Like rushing water. And the fourth hallelujah, is the, the fourth and final one, leads us into our marriage supper with the Lamb. And we're rejoicing. While down in Babylon, uh, they're crying in their beer, I guess, or whatever. So, uh, the this opening of this prayer is an opening of glorifying God and praising God for who He is. And who He is to you. And you can't get around this, right? If you're gonna, if we're gonna use the Lord's prayer, I find that I'm gonna be praising Him, like I'm forced to, aren't I? And I've I've stated this already, and I must state it again, and I will many times. Do not wait till you feel like praising God to praise God. He deserves it, whether you feel like it or not. If you start waiting until you feel like it, you're not gonna do it near enough. And it's amazing how important it is. It's extremely important. Think of a love... If you are in a love relationship or are in a love relationship and you're going to have a successful love relationship and you rarely, if ever, told that person how you felt about them, how does that work? That's That's not a relationship at all, actually. In fact, if we don't express what we love, in the good things that we love. If we don't express what we love, we don't come to the fruition of them. They don't come to their fulfillment. We've got to express to God what He is. So uh, what we're faced with in a room, on our knees, at least in our souls, before a holy God, holy in heaven, whose kingdom and will will be done, that what comes upon us each is honesty. This is one of the great benefits. Another problem with the human race, besides the fact that we're broken, and uh, as we see with this group of people, they're uh, troubled, 
lot, a lot of problems and troubles is that we lie to ourselves. We lie to ourselves and tell ourselves it's, we're not troubled. I mean, isn't that what conceit is? Is a self-lie? Or it's really plagiarism? Right? I take credit for what God, only God can do, which is to bestow purpose and happiness. And I take credit for it myself that if, as if in some way that I could do that to me, this fallen man. And so we have to be honest. And honesty with yourself is a great big step. Uh, and <clears throat> isn't it also true that we would rather, most people would rather um, contemplate, uh, in other words, talk about it, contemplate life, deba- debate the issues of life rather than actually live it. And you see, Jesus doesn't give us an option here. He said, uh, Lord, could you teach us how to pray? He doesn't give them a seminar on prayer. They didn't say, well, let's talk about what prayer is and let's talk about what its meaning is and let's talk about uh, you know, the theology of prayer. He says, say this. <laughs> this is wonderfully refreshing. Pray this. You know, it's, it's, here it is. Now, discern. You, over your lifetime, discern what those words mean. Yeah, you know, to sit around contemplating life doesn't really take a lot to do. Basically, you need a chair and a tongue, and you can just talk about it. Everybody loves to talk about it. Everybody's talking, 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 right? But who's doing? And to live the life takes a whole lot more. But each of us do struggle with it. And why do we struggle with it? For, those, for many of us, the struggle to, and again, this is why we need this constant contact with our Father, that the struggle that comes with living the life is not so much that we don't want to live it. I mean, there's certainly people out there who don't want to live it at all, and they're just lying to themselves. But uh, for many of us, we really, really do want to live it, but we find that we continue to struggle. And, and that is because... It, it, there's competition. Uh, to each of us, there's competition for our uh, affections. And, and that's what this comes down to, is you, know, you do what you love, and, and that's clear in the Scripture. So in Galatians 5.24, Paul writes, Now to those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so we see here that the flesh has passions and desires. And these passions and desires within us that are fueled also by the world, uh, they compete for our affection. And so we find ourselves uh, yeah, in a struggle between uh, one desire and another. We have the desire to glorify God, but we also have a desire from the flesh, and they're competing. And so Paul writes it in Galatians 5, that the, war, that the flesh wars with the spirit and the spirit wars with the flesh. <clears throat> but a promise is given to us here at the end of chapter 5 in Galatians is that through Christ Jesus, the flesh has been crucified. And this tells me that I don't have to, it, it doesn't have all power over me. 
I mean, at times it does, sure, but that, that's me giving it power. If I, if I understand by faith that it's been crucified, then I also know that I don't have to obey it. And where are you going to get help with this? You're going to get help in a lot of places, actually. There's people in the body of Christ who have the gift of encouragement. They're going to help you. There are people in the body of Christ who have maybe whatever their spiritual gift is, they're going to pray for you, and, and they're going to help, and they're going to encourage you, and they're going to comfort you, and they're going to help. Uh, you're going to study the Word of God and be reminded in the Scripture of the truth, and that's going to greatly help. But you know what else is going to help? It is prayer. Prayer is going to be one of your greatest helps here. You're talking to a real person. This isn't, it's not like pagan prayers. Jesus said, you know, in paganism, they thought they were heard for their many words. Whatever the God is up there, you just annoy him to death by just repeating and repeating and repeating the same word, like doing the rosary. And, and, uh, and Christ said, you know, before you even ask, God, your Father knows exactly what you want or need. And he's comforting us there. Why do you have to use a lot of words with different people? It's because they don't know what you're talking about. Maybe you're having a terrible time explaining it. Or they have no reference to what you're speaking of. And you have to say it this way and say it in another way. And it gets frustrating. So Jesus tells us, look, not only does God know everything, but he knows what you're going to ask him before you ask him. So it's his way of telling us to chill. To relax and know. Like me, the, uh, it was a yes, so last night, all, I, <laughs> my pain threshold had gone through the roof and I, all I could do is just say, God help. I, I just, I didn't have the words. But I, I know from the scripture that it's like, well, that's good enough. He knows what I need. Prayer is going to be one of our greatest helps. In fact, I would confidently assert that without prayer, without a good and proper prayer life, you're not going to be able to live in the manner of the Christ life like, like life, <laughs> or say it. Christ life, like life, that's it. It would be like trying, again, like trying to live out a successful love relationship without expressing your love to the one that you love. just wouldn't work. Now, Jesus, therefore, gives us six petitions. You can go to Matthew chapter 6, please. Oh, we defer time. Whew. Sorry. <clears throat> Matthew 6. Today he says, you know, the people think they're going to be heard for their many words. And then he gives us this, it's just, it's too short, isn't it? It seems like it's too short. Look at verse 7. Uh, verse seven. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they'll be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then. And when you say in this way, that's English. That's not there in the Greek. He says, thus, therefore, you pray. There's four Greek words. Thus, therefore, you pray. And pray is a command. 
Yeah, and wow, not many words. And to the point where most of your translations add that last part to verse 13, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. See, we even we added to the prayer because that's not in the original. That's in, in my Bible, it's in brackets because in most manuscripts, good manuscripts, that's not there. We added it. So some scribe back years ago was like, this is too short. We need to add a little more doxology to it, you know, for yours is the kingdom and the glory. That's not there. The prayer six petitions, uh, they're all commandments, by the way. Uh, but that can be read into too much. In Greek, if you were to request something from a superior, you would put it in the imperative. So their requests, we're not commanding God to do anything. Uh, but <clears throat> first off, no one could say, I don't have enough time for prayer. Uh, and, where, and where in the scripture does it say how much time you are to spend in prayer? Nowhere. You have plenty of time. Um, and so, uh, the prayer easily divides into two parts. The first is the praise of the Father for his person and work. This is a very uh, broad summary that, that I'm giving it here. We'll, we'll look at the petitions uh, in kind here starting next week. Uh, <clears throat> praise of the Father for his person and his work. Uh, he is holy and in heaven, in heaven is where all holiness dwells. It's his domain. It's one will. Um, there's no conflict there. It is perfect, pure holiness. And that's the third heaven, as we like to call it. And also, he is holy. Sanctified be your name or holy be your name. Hallowed is fine, too. I, I like hallowed, but nobody uses that word anymore. Uh, so, uh, hallowed or holy, the Greek word is uh, hagios, it means uh, sanctified. So, you could say, sanctified be your name, holy be your name, and that is you praising him for being holy. Now, so, here's the thing, and, and Jesus helps us so greatly with this. It, you know, when we say it, do we mean it? You know, if you're, whatever word you want to use, holy, sanctified, uh, any synonym there, you're forced, you're forced to face the fact of, do you really mean it? And, and this is not, you know, just trying to well up some like false emotion or something. It's, do you really praise God for who he is? And if you don't, why not? And and uh, I, I'm, now I mean now I use this prayer all the time and and I talk to him about that. Why why don't I? Why is it at times I see things as more important than you, Father? More beautiful, more desirable, more lovely. Why? He said because you're. A, Stupid sinner, Joe. And so, yeah, okay, okay. So, how about let's get into it a little deeper, yeah? And, and so, like, you can you explore that because there's nothing more important than that. You know, in Revelation four and five, where they find where you finally get to the the end, and you have the those bizarre four living creatures with the four kinds of faces and the twenty four elders. They're always together. 
the four living creatures and the 24. I call them the four and 24. And they're praising the Lord Jesus Christ. Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God. And you see in there, there's Jesus in the, in the depiction of a slain lamb. The Lion of Judah slain as a lamb. But he's worthy, that's what they say. He's worthy to open the scrolls. He's the only one worthy. And they praise him. I think they mean it. <laughs> of course they do. You know, what about us? Do we mean it? And that's what we're, we're faced with it. See, Jesus just kind of throws us right into the throne room of the Father and says, deal with it. Deal with you before God. Because if you don't, You'll let decades of your life go by where you're really occupied and glorified with yourself or with this world or with anything else besides me. And we're so easily occupied and distracted as little sheeples that we, we, we don't even know what's happening. But you see, when we start the prayer, we're faced with it. You're, you're faced with it. Father, you're holy in heaven. Sanctified be your name. So that's the first part. Uh, And then in his person and work, you have his kingdom and his will. And and we'll see this. We're not calling God's kingdom to come on earth. Ain't nobody does that. Not in any age. Those who don't think that this prayer is for the church, say it's for Israel in the future, they don't command the kingdom of God to come on earth either. Uh, but, you know, you can have your own opinion on that, of course. But uh, <clears throat> there's one kingdom and one will for all of eternity. I am a member of that kingdom. Everybody in the church age is a member of that kingdom and every one of us. What, did, what was Jesus, you know, when he comes into the world, and Hebrews 10, I come into your, I come to the world to do a body you have prepared for me, I've come to do your will, O God. Your will. Your will. In Gethsemane, in prayer, your will, not mine. If if this cup can pass from me, Father, but not my will, yours. And so, we praise Him for His person and His work, His kingdom and His will, and then give us today our daily bread, which is a, is a tricky little, there's a tricky little word in that, uh, but anyway, we'll, we'll see that when it comes. But what that really gets to is our contentment. Uh, whatever God has given you for today, that's what you get. You want more? Shame on you. And, and if you want more, why? You, you really think it's going to make you happy? Deal with it. You know, like Jesus has given us these petitions that we have to deal with ourselves in our relationship with God. Why aren't you content? Why do you think you need more? Well, I'm poor. <laughs> yeah, but blessed are the poor. Remember that? You know, why am I so uptight and so anxious and so worried? And prayer is the place. Right? And, and as you pray, God's going to lead you to passages in His Word. 
And then what? Sent forgiveness? Because as we traverse, the last part is our journey. Uh, Don't lead us, Father. In other words, lead us, Father, but don't lead us in this way. We're We're petitioning to be led in the right way in that last petition. The word for temptation is always the word used for Satan tempting us. Perazzo. I know this word well. It's always used for Satan trying to trip us up. And we're asking God, this is what we're after, lead us your way. And, you know, as, and in, in all of this, you, we're, we're faced, is, is what, what the Lord has done here for us is made us face every bit of this. Because as we pray it, uh, it, it, it has to be more than just us repeating the words. What are the meaning behind them all? And then, you know, why don't I follow the way? Why am I allowing the kingdom of darkness to trip me up again and again and again, and often in the same area? Why am I not content? Why do I feel so guilt-ridden by my sin? And why won't I forgive others? Why and right in Sermon on the Mount, don't judge others. You judge them, you will be judged. And in the prayer, as we forgive our debtors. So you got to deal with that. With other people, your forgiveness of other people, your graciousness to other people. So the Lord's pretty smart, in my estimation. Now, there may be some in the ministry here that still think, because a lot of us were taught that this prayer has nothing to do with the church. I was taught that. I understand. I understand. I'm convinced that it's not. And so I I teach as the Spirit leads me. I do not have all authority. (laughs) It's just hilarious to even say that out loud. Uh, So if you disagree, you disagree. That's fine. That's fine. You'll still learn. You'll still learn. But note, every one of these petitions, you can go find them in, the New, in another place in the New Testament. And if you prefer to have them there instead of here, then that's fine. Uh, so, time. Always, there's never enough, is there? So, let's celebrate the Lord's Supper. If you want, you can, we're going to be in Isaiah 53, if you want to turn there. And uh, just for a few minutes, if we could pass out the elements this morning, we'll celebrate our Lord's Supper, and then we'll close.
Uh, one of the words that uh, came up for me just a little bit ago was a word um, for bearing, uh, to bear a burden. And uh, this is a word that's used for our Lord in Isaiah 53. Uh, bearing is <clears throat> one word that is capable of expressing the entire work of Christ on the cross. He bore our sins. Right, so it means a bear up uh, to carry. God bore all men, and Jesus was weighted down with these the sins of the world. And actually, as is uh, stated here in Isaiah 53, it crushed him. And as it's the, the, it says that the Lord was pleased to crush him. Look at Isaiah 53, 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So at the end there of verse 6, it's the same on him as this theme of this pressure, uh, this judgment that came on him. Uh, if you go down to verse 11, the same word is used. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. That's the same word that's used back in verse 5. He will bear their iniquities. So again, there's this uh, burden of sin. Uh, and so, therefore, when we, when we think about uh, the forgiveness of our sins, which we are so incredibly grateful for, it, it, there's more to it, actually, than the fact that they have been removed, say. And that, that's another term used for our sins. As far as the East is from the West, in Colossians 2, the certificate of debt was removed, having been nailed to the cross. Uh, and, and so, but there's more to this than the fact that the sins are no longer counted against us, which is wonderful, obviously, but there's a burden of them. And on our own, to have to deal with our sin alone is too much. You can't do it. I can't do it. The bur and I mean as forgiven saints. To deal with your sin on your own, alone, is too much of a burden. And so as David writes in Psalm 38, 4, for my iniquities have gone over my head as a heavy burden. They weigh too much for me. Can David bear his own sin? No. Nor can I. Nor can you. See, th this gift that we've been given of forgiveness is the actual ability. And this is, we do this by faith and, and hopefully with great rejoicing that we cast our burdens upon him. Right? And in that wonderful passage in 1 Peter that Peter writes, right? you can imagine Peter who denied the Lord. He must have just 
the warmth in his heart when he got to pen those words that are a part of the eternal word of God. <clears throat> that what, what does it say there? That cast your burdens, your anxieties, your worries. Why? Because he cares for you. Yeah. And so what we do is these sins that I have, that you have, that are burdening us so often, burdening us and wrecking our joy. We've got to remember and learn to, right? And this part in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sin. In, in Matthew, it's our debts. In Luke, it's our iniquities. So when I say it, I say both, iniquities and debts. Uh, I'm putting them on you. On you. Psalm 55. You can see where Peter Peter stole his words from the Psalms. Of course, it's like the rest of us do. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Psalm 55.22 And then in Psalm 68.19 Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burden. The God who is our salvation. Cast your burdens upon Him. It doesn't justify sin. It doesn't condone sin. We suffer for every bit of it. Uh, Naturally. You know, it's law of volitional responsibility. We all suffer for the mistakes that we make. But if you choose to bear the burden of sin on your own, in other words, without reliance upon Him, upon that cross, upon His... uh, him hanging on the cross for your iniquities, for the burden that he held and bore, and you're not going to be able to do it. And your sins, your failures, though you even though you know you're forgiven and you know you can confess them and you know there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but because of some misplaced pride or whatever that you're trying to actually bear the burden of your sin on your own, it will crush you. So put those things, put those sins on him. For I received from the Lord that which, excuse me, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's together eat the bread. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, "The cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In honor of our Lord and his death and his coming, let's drink the cup. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this table. Thank you that we have this reminder constantly of the very real reason why we have anything, which is the sacrifice of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
We thank you for the bread that was his body that was broken for us. We thank you for the cup that is his finished work in providing for us the new covenant by which we are under, a covenant that can't be broken because it is sealed in him. We are sealed in him. We thank you for your indescribable gift. In Christ's name, amen. We'll take our offering and and let you go. Sorry about the time. Got away from me. (laughs) Thank you, Grant. Let's pray for our offering. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to give as your believer priest. We give in honor of you. Uh, we give uh, to, uh, to worship you. We ask, Father, that through your spirit that you would guide us in the, the use of all that you bless us with. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for our gathering, and thank you for uh, the unity that you have given to us to be a part of a body. And uh, for the final closing moments of our service, we offer to anyone who has not come to believe in Christ as their Savior, and to anyone listening who has not believed in Jesus Christ, I beg you to please consider who is the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God, has become a man, and died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. He bore the iniquities of all mankind. There's only one Savior who can claim that, and that is Jesus Christ. There are no other Saviors besides Him. There's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. So, believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the one who has died for you and resurrected on the third day, and you will be saved. We are so grateful, Father, for you. In Christ's name, amen.